So in today's message, we're going to look at things to watch out for and how to detect those in your elders or those you are considering as candidates for elders. And if we go back to the original message about one of the core attributes of an elder is teaching. But because the goal is to be able to care for the souls of those that are under their care, which is the rest of the congregation. And so we need to pair those two together. Why is it that teaching is so important and at the same time their role is to care for their souls? And that's because they're inextricably connected. One's teaching, what they teach, has direct and eternal impact on one's soul. And so this would make sense that false teachers are ones you should shield against in your leadership. And one of the most subtle infections that can creep in is the prosperity gospel. And the reason why we have to pay such close attention to it is because it is so subtle. The moment it suddenly becomes authorized, authenticated, and deemed perfectly acceptable as a true gospel by someone who has now the mantle of authority, it will spread like wildfire. Because the prosperity gospel, as well as some of these other false teachings, really do tickle people's ears. There's something very captivating about it. And so, I think it's really worth spending time. So, open up with the story and then talk about why it is important to detect ways it may be hard to detect, but how to go about being aware of it. So, in this conversation with this elder, we're talking about some situations that weren't very good. And it had to do with... um, a job situation I had been facing and in his advice uh, he had said well God's promises will fi- will find you something better that is part of his promise and I said I don't, I don't know if that's really true but but in that moment while I try to say well what do you think it is what do you think God's promises are he stopped and didn't continue So there's a couple problems with it. It was clear he associated God's promises with a better job and promotion and income. And in subtle ways, I found that in our conversations, it was there. But the nature of this prosperity gospel is we know we can't say it overtly, but it certainly seemed like a transactional relationship was somewhat there in those dialogues. But more importantly was if someone can't say what God's promises are when asked directly, it's clear that there was no awareness of what those were and he really did intend them to be carnal promises, wealth, comfort, income, promotion. And those are not promised at all by God. And I'll talk about how Just one comment may not be enough, but we can start to triangulate. At the same time, it's kind of like 
And I've mentioned this before, it's kind of like vetting a chief justice. These days, the chief justice tries to reveal as little as possible about what they believe. Those who are aspiring to be chief justices try to write as little as possible that reveals their opinions. And, and this is what can happen when there's a pragmatic approach to it. And this is why teaching is very important to investigate is because it is wide open. Now, if someone doesn't have a long history of teaching, and no, no, not all teaching will be perfect, but if they have a corpus and you say, wow, 80% of it's right, 20%, okay, we're going to have a discussion on it, but there's no big violations, that's comforting, right? You know where they're standing. Someone has no history of teaching or shies away in public from direct discussions that revolve exegesis, then you know there is a problem, and this is a problem. And, and subtle ways, which I'll talk about later, reveal when we look to God for what he gives us, we give with the expectation he gives back more. When we pray with the expectation of more comfort, those are the prosperity gospel. It is very subtle seduction. It is very easy to do. Because of course we want our religion to be man-centered. It's about me. I pray to God, he gives me what I want. So here is an example where it, we couldn't get to it. And the, the, the challenge of somebody not being forthcoming on how they exegete makes it very difficult. And no one should ever be an elder if you don't have that clarity. But let, let me give a, a very clear example is people will take out of context, oh well, but God will give you the you know the desires of your heart. And a man-centered view of the world will say, Well, I want the desires of my heart. Of course I'll follow this God. He's gonna give me the desires of my heart. That already is a prosperity gospel. Now, one may argue, but aren't we to pray for him? Yes, of course we're supposed to pray. But what we pray for is also a sign of who we are. What we believe God's promises to us is a revelation of our actual belief in who Christ is. This ties back to moral theism. And you can tell there's some that can talk about God and they can talk about God in very passionate ways. But, but God, without a distinction of who he is based in scripture, can simply be a very powerful genie. And that ultimately is the prosperity gospel. No matter how one dresses it up with biblical verses, without the understanding of the gospel and focusing on who Jesus is, who was not ever a rich person. He did not live a comfortable life. And those who followed him did not have comfort. In this conversation, and we'll talk about this more in my lesson on, you know, knowing thy enemy. 
But much of the conversation where he identifies who Satan is were things that compromised comfort. If there were an earthquake, it's Satan's work. If there is a flood, it's Satan's work. And I, I don't know if we can be so certain of that. God controls the weather. And he does those things many times to lead people to him. What happened after a 9-11 in the United States? Church attendance soared. What happens when there is an earthquake or a flood? The number of people who are in touch with people who are God's people because of relief efforts led by Christians goes up. Does that sound